1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: On DAB Plus, online, by the Talksport app, and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on Talksport 2, the only dedicated women's football show on UK national radio.
2: Hello, welcome to Women's Football Weekly, another busy day in the world of women's football with not one, but two international managers stepping down. We'll be discussing the departures of both Phil Neville from England and Jane Ludlow from Wales, as well as Chelsea taking top spots in Barclays FA WSL after their win over Manchester United.
0: Oh, Frank Kirby could be in here, it's a lapse at the back from United, Kirby! It's the woman in form, it's Frank
2: Kirby for Chelsea! City are at it again this time smashing seven past Villa to keep the pressure on the title contenders and Kelly has the
0: chance and Kelly has the goal another mistake at the back for Aston Villa Lisa
2: Weiss couldn't get it clear Chloe Kelly capitalized and Manchester City have seven Beardy is back the former West Ham boss Matt Beard takes temporary charge at Bristol City as Tanya Ogsterby goes on maternity leave
0: homeschooling has been so tough I'm not gonna lie especially the maths, I just, it just felt it was a different opportunity for me.
2: All that, plus a spotlight sit-down with Everton and England goalkeeper Sandy McKeever and all the results from the Championship. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Carruthers. Hi, I'm Frank Kirby and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. Hello, oh, hello. Happy Monday to you all. I have a couple of fantastic guests for you this evening. Former Manchester United and England goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain's back with us. How are you doing, Siobhan?
3: I'm very well, thank you.
2: Excellent. And Amy Ruski is making her Women's Football Weekly debut from Goal.com. How are you doing, Amy? I'm good, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so I thought today we would probably end up just covering the football for a change. Um, we finally had a full fixture list in the WSL. But no, 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 no. It's never quiet, is it, in women's football? Phil Neville has left his role as England manager, which we knew was coming and have discussed at length. But then, just to throw extra work into the mix for us all, Jane Ludlow has left her role as Wales manager as well. We'll get to Jane in in a second. Uh, Let's talk Neville. We we talked at length last week about this on, on the show, but now it's more about who's going to take interim charge isn't it? But I I just want first of all Siobhan your your instant reaction to to Phil Neville's departure and the legacy he's left because it has now been confirmed that he has signed for uh, Inter Miami
3: Yeah I think it's without question that his appointment as England manager has raised the profile of the game um you see so many so many more people talking about the england women's team and the awareness has definitely increased i think that's un- unquestioned but slip pitch improved and has the has the quality there kind of been consistent with the off pitch improvement i mean england are sixth in the world at the moment they haven't probably improved as much as people would have like demanded, especially with the investment and the quality of the players that there are as well. So it's an exciting time for, for Serena Weidman to, to take over and then obviously whoever whoever gets that interim job um, for that weird kind of period, knowing that you're not going to get it afterwards. It, it, it's going to be strange, but it, it's an exciting period ahead.
2: Yeah, I just want to give you Phil Neville's quotes from earlier on. He said, It's been an honour to manage England and I've enjoyed three of the best years of my career with the FA and the Lionesses. Players who wear the English some are the most talented and dedicated athletes I've ever had the privilege to work with. I wish England women every success in the future and look forward to following their journey in the years to come. Um, Baroness Sue Campbell uh, said, given his status... As a former Manchester United and England player, he did much to raise the profile of our team and has used his platform to champion the women's game, worked tirelessly to support our effort to promote more female coaches and used his expertise to develop many of our younger players. And you can't really argue with some of that, can you, Amy?
4: No, I think probably that the one thing that will last for Neville, his biggest part of maybe this legacy that he leaves is, is the younger players that he's brought through. Uh, you know, you look at Lauren Hemp was given, uh, given her debut sorry, by Neville and Beth Mead I think as well was another that was given a debut by him and there's a lot of those players that even before Neville's time that were given their debuts by managers before that have developed massively under Neville um, and been given that chance, you know, maybe it stems from him being a a youngster coming through at Manchester United at the time when they said kids don't win anything and he kind of came through in that that time and he's given a lot of young players that are the future of this England team their chance.
2: Yeah, and look, there is a lot of negativity on social media regarding uh, Phil Neville's tenure, but you can't argue with exactly what both of you have said in terms of the good stuff that he's done. And I always think it's better to look at the positives of what somebody has brought and, and, and things that the team can, can improve on going forward. And we did have some really good times under him over the last three years. Now is the chance for somebody else to, to, to come in. We talked last week about uh, who's possibly able to take on this interim role? Because obviously Bev Priestman recently has gone to to Canada Women as head coach. Um, Mo Marley, uh, who's been in caretaker charge before, has retired. And then we've seen Rianne Skinner uh, go and manage uh, Tottenham. So who else is left? Um, And are we expecting it to be an internal appointment, Siobhan?
3: That's a very good question. I think if I had the answer to that, I'd definitely put a bet on tonight. Um, But... It, it's the difficulty of the period of time that it is. There's so many good managers, good young managers, female managers as well out there at the moment. And they're all in positions that they're not going to want to leave for a, for a six-month, nine-month period of time. So it's kind of how do you find someone to, to fill that gap, but also understands the, the model that England wants to play with, understands England's philosophy, their DNA. Um, I know it's Team GB as well, but... I suppose it depends on what 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 are the what are the requirements of the role and well I think it's are they be looking two at separate
2: someone? roles I think that from my understanding um, that they're recruiting for an interim interim England manager and that is going to be separate to whoever would be Serena Weigman's assistant when she takes over in August after leading the Netherlands at the Olympics. And it would also be separate to the Team GB role. So we're talking three different roles here um, and three different recruitment processes, if you like. But, but you would expect, would you not, Amy, that perhaps the FA would want somebody who already, who already knows the inner workings of the FA and, and is perhaps on their own coaching journey.
4: Yeah, I think the, the one positive, I mean, it's it's a bit of a crazy situation for the FA at the moment. Obviously, like we say, Skinner and um, Priestman both left recently, so there's no obvious replacement. Um, but I guess the good thing is they they say they've been searching for a replacement for Rhiann Skinner since November. So you'd hope that they've had, you know, a, a couple of months to kind of scope out the candidates and they say they'll, they'll hopefully make an announcement in the, in the coming days. So I guess that's showing that, you know, they have been looking and hopefully that means that, you know, somebody is lined up and, and ready to come in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. L- let's discuss the other big departure of the day, because I think there were a lot of people... Uh, Two and two making five when uh, it was announced that Jane Ludlow, the Wales manager, was going to be stepping down after six years. People were were linking the two, but actually, if you went down the press release a little bit further and dig into it, it shows that she's going to take a role um, with with FIFA and uh, a, a technical role. What more do we know about that, Amy?
4: um i mean it was it was quite brief, really, um, like you say, a lot of us missed it in the press release as well um I think what it sounds like is that it wouldn't necessarily rule her out of any managerial position that maybe came up um, in terms of the team g b
2: like... role are you thinking
4: yeah well team g b or or anything else um do you know i think I think her name has been it's not really been in the frame for team g b before um but obviously, she, she was really heavily linked to that West Ham job that, that recently went to Ollie Harder. So, do you know, it might not mean that we don't see her at a club or, or in a, a Team GB role. But, um, yeah, it was it's definitely something I don't think many of us are expecting when we open that press release, for sure.
2: Would would she go from um, Wales to, to England interim boss? Could you see at all, Siobhan?
4: If I'm
3: honest, I couldn't see her going to be be the England manager, but team G B, yeah, definitely, why not? Um she's had She's had great success with bringing through young players with the Welsh team. They've they've narrowly missed out on qualification for the last two tournaments, which I'm sure she'll be really frustrated about. So to have the opportunity to then manage at a major tournament would be fantastic for her. And she's got the respect of a lot of players because of what she's achieved in the game as a player. But she's also got the respect of players because of what she's what she's done and who she is and how she develops players as a manager. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely a really interesting um, option for Team GB.
2: Mm, Jane Ludlow herself said it's been a fantastic learning environment for me personally, and I'm proud of what we've achieved over the last six years as a group of staff and players whom I want to thank. I'm looking forward to the next challenges, one of which is an exciting opportunity I have to be part of a technical leadership team at FIFA. Uh, Amy, who are we thinking are the potential candidates to, to take over from Jane Ludlow?
4: Um, I think, I think the thing with with um, the job she's done at Wales is that she's been doing a lot of different jobs, hasn't she? I know that she didn't just, you know, kind of manage the team. She was doing a lot of other stuff um, with, you know, the pathways and and all sorts of jobs behind the scenes. So I think one of the things I'm quite interested to see is if the if that continues for the next person. Um, to be honest, at this early stage, I'm, I'm trying to think of somebody off the top of my head that that could be in that position but I think it will be particularly interesting to see if if the person who succeeds her is is doing all these other jobs as well or if they'll change the role to make it just about managing that that senior team because you know Ludlow's legacy will be beyond just the, the team on the pitch because she's done so much stuff for the Welsh affair elsewhere and in so many different roles.
2: Anyone you can think of Siobhan?
3: Well, I've definitely seen Jess Fishlock's name banded about a few times across Twitter today. And (laughs) she won't thank me for for mentioning her if if it means she she has to retire because I think she'll want to carry on playing football till she's gone 50. Um, (laughs) But yeah, she's definitely someone that, whether it's right right time now, but she's definitely someone that I could see in the future um, being involved within the Welsh team. And I'm sure she'll have aspirations to manage her country at some point.
2: Interesting. Well, we shall wait and see. And of course, we wish both Phil Neville and Jane Ludlow the best of luck. And we look forward to working with and speaking to uh, their replacements in due course as well. Uh, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Others alongside Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski. Uh, coming up, Super Fran is at it again as Chelsea beat Manchester United to go top.
0: On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the home for women's
2: football. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football with me, Faker others, former England and Manchester United goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski from Goal. Uh, Don't forget, if you do miss any of our shows... Or if you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app, so you can download it today and go to our podcast section. Uh, Right, the Barclays FA WSL. We finally had a full fixture list, which was very exciting. So let's start with the the top-of-the-table clash that everybody was excited about uh, this weekend.
0: Another chance for Kirby! And off the post! And now it's turned in! It's Pernilla Harder for Chelsea. The champions in front of King's Meadow. James, I might have heard Casey Stoney there saying, get LJ on the ball, she's on it now. And she might hit this, you know, she did! And she scores. How about that? From Lauren James, and that's what happens when you get her on the ball. Oh, Frank Kirby could be in here, it's a lapse
2: at the bat from United, Kirby! It's the woman in form. It's Frank Kirby for Chelsea. Well, she is the woman in form, isn't she, Frank Kirby? It finished just 2 Manchester United 1. Amy Ruski, you were there. Did it live up to the hype?
4: Yeah, it was a great game of football, actually. I think when it started, we were, we were surprised by how the pace of the game was absolutely ridiculous in the first uh, 15, 20 minutes. It was just constant... Um, Obviously Manchester United were were pressing really high and Chelsea were creating chance after chance after chance and they could have almost been 3-0 up after 15 minutes. Um, It was just such a chaotic game of football to start with.
2: Yeah, Sam Kerr had plenty of chances, didn't she? But just, I mean, we've seen this from her in games before. We've seen her be amazingly clinical and we've also seen her have some shockers, Siobhan.
3: Yeah, I mean, she gets in such fantastic positions. Her movement, her running off the ball, Frank Kirby's link-up play with her to find her has been immense, especially the last couple of games. But yeah, her, her final play and her clinical finishing just hasn't been there. And it's frustrating to see it because she does all the hard work. She gets there, she gets in those positions, but just isn't finding the back of the net at the moment. Um, I think for, for Emma Hayes, she'd be more frustrated if she wasn't getting in those positions. It's, it's a positive you've got to, got to take. If your strikers aren't getting in goal scoring opportunities, then that's an additional problem.
2: Yeah, she did say afterwards, Emma Hayes, the Chelsea manager, though, didn't she? That, you know, she, I think she gets a bit exasperated when they don't take their chances because, you know, at some point they'll, they'll get punished. Um, Penilla Harder, though, was there to put them one up in the 30th minute. Uh, but that came from Frank Kirby uh, trying to uh, flash a shot across the face of goal to, to reach the far corner and uh, it hit the post and fastest to rebound w- was Harder, Amy.
4: Yeah, I think Chelsea were, you know, they it was well overdue that lead at that point. They like we say, we, they had so many chances and Man United defended that con you know, there was the I can't remember who it was, but one of the Manchester United players had headed in and nearly went in and Amy Turner cleared it off the line, then you know, she nearly blocked the, the Harder shot. It was it was a bit of a scruffy one, but um I don't think that Chelsea or Harder will be complaining about that at all.
2: No, I'll tell you what, Casey Stoney won't be complaining about uh, Lauren James either because she came on as a substitute in the second half, got United back into it, Siobhan, and it was a beautiful goal.
3: It was, it's what you know you can you can get from, from Lauren James. She's a fantastic player. She struggled a bit with injury through this season and she's kind of been in and out trying to get back, finding that bit of form. But you know that if you can get the ball to her, she can create that bit of magic without really needing any help from anybody else. And you obviously heard Casey Stoney on, on the sideline saying, get the ball to LJ. And, and that's what you need to do. You just need to give her the ball and get her in those kind of positions around the edge of the 18 yard box. And she can create magic. like that
2: to that defending though because that was shocking just a few minutes later
3: yeah it it wasn't ideal was it and i'm sure casey stoney as a centre back would have been holding her head in her hands if, in frustration because all the hard work you do and, and one lapse of concentration that sometimes all it takes and can cost you i think we sometimes overcomplicate football massively and all it took was one long ball a goal, a win, and Chelsea are back on top of the league.
2: Uh, We love a bit of overcomplication in the media as well as on the pitch. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) Gives you something to talk about. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chelsea had 17 shots, six of them on target. We mentioned that, Amy. Source of frustration sometimes uh, for Emma Hayes, I think. But Chelsea have equalled Manchester City's WSL record of going 31 games unbeaten. They've not lost in the league since January 2019, which was a 3-2 defeat to to Birmingham, which nobody would have written at the time. It, It means that they go top on goal difference and they have a game in hand um as well that game in hand is against Spurs um they they surely look like retaining their title don't they in this kind of form
4: yeah I think so and I think Emma Hayes knows that as well um you know speaking to the press after she she's been in all the situations she's been top of the table she's been chasing she's been you know favorite she's been underdogs and she was saying you know when when you're top of the table whether you're off the pace nobody writes at the end of the season if you lift that trophy that they were the chasing team it it you know it's it's all about how they handle that pressure and they've won so many titles and they know how to handle that pressure um and I think it was a credit to Man United as well to how close they kind of came to this team that's been in the works for nine years like you say setting that unbeaten record um well equaling it and um Cases on his side weren't really that far off in that second half from from getting a point if they, they just depend that long ball.
2: Yeah, we'll just focus on, on Manchester United again in a second, but I want to play some Emma, Emma Hayes audio because after the game, uh, she said she was not going to get carried away despite that incredible record. No team has retained
5: the title. No team in this country in the modern day WSL, you realise how hard this is. This is extremely
3: difficult. So to go unbeaten for two years with that quality is an unbelievable achievement, but it's not a trophy. It's the sort of thing you could talk about later on, but it's not a trophy. And as I was reminded by a Doc Rivers podcast I was listening to, it's not about what you have, it's about what you haven't got yet. And we haven't yet got a title the season after we've won one. We haven't got a Champions League. We haven't got a, you know, successive Continental Cup. This team has a lot of things to achieve yet. So I don't get carried away with sort of records like that, to be honest.
2: She's always pragmatic, isn't she? Chelsea manager Emma Hayes. And I'm going to be looking up Doc Rivers, another podcast to add to my ever-growing list of podcasts. Don't forget Women's Football Weekly have one as well. If you've not downloaded that for your uh, exercise walks during lockdown, then please uh, do. Uh, From a Manchester United point of view, though, uh, what we haven't mentioned is that Leah Galton and Casey Stoney were both um, uh, one manager and player of the month in the Barclays WSL Th- this season, which is which is pretty impressive, and they have really and are really uh, pushing the, the traditional top three, Siobhan, this season. Can you see Manchester United staying up at this level for for years to come?
3: Yeah, most definitely. I think as a club, Manchester United is huge, and they obviously didn't come into the league. Um, when it began, that they're relatively new, but what they've done is they've done it the right way. They've invested well. They've they've built a team and built a squad that can compete over time. That's got better and better. There's there's so many young players in that team that have come into the England senior team over the last last six, seven months or so. And they've been doing fantastically well. And that's credit to Casey Stoney and it's credit to Manchester United. And there's no reason why they can't maintain that challenge at the top of the league this season and for many more years to come.
2: Yeah, definitely. And they were certainly in this game, weren't they? But eventually losing 2-1 uh, to the current champions at uh, Chelsea. Uh, Manchester City went on another route, Amy Ruski, uh, 7-0 against Aston Villa, and they were six up by half-time.
4: I know. And if you look at the lineup as well, they they were shoehorning players in some positions. I mean, Esme Morgan, I think, was playing at centre-back. Um, it was... Yeah, when you looked at the lineup, you were... You, you know, you look to the bench and you thought, if, if they're struggling in this game, who are they going to bring off the bench, really? You know, they've, they've not got too much on there. And in the end, they didn't need it. Need it. They had a, a couple of young players come on and make the debuts, which was nice. But, yeah, I think Manchester City are one of those teams that really struggled at the beginning of the season. And, and now we're kind of seeing them get into the flow of things. And, and they look like the Manchester City that we've we've known for, you know, all the time they've been in the WSL this this attacking, brilliant side. And to to do that without so many players and without Gareth Taylor on the sideline as well was was really impressive.
2: Yeah, Manchester City with a lot of players out self-isolating, um, but it does show their strength in depth, doesn't it, Siobhan? And, you know, interesting to see City turn up at a game like this as well and, and be so clinical, especially without Sam Mewis, who's been you know, their best player arguably this season. But of course, Jill Scott just jumps straight in there, takes her place uh, and it was just like old times.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I was actually at that game and it was great to see so many goals and a a live game of football for once. but yeah you you talk about the kind of them having a lot of players missing. you look at that starting starting eleven every single one of those players was still a senior international player. yes, some of them played in slightly different positions to where they normally would but they're they're a fantastic team and as you said there's there's such strength and depth there now which potentially there wasn't in the past potentially if they'd have had these kind of issues, they would have had the kids on the pitch and it does change the whole situation completely um but you look at Jill Scott that came in. She's an incredible player. She's a fantastic role model for the young ones that are coming through. But she she deserves to be playing football still. She's she's not old. She's not past it or anything like that. She she needs to be on the pitch and she needs to be playing football. And you saw that on Sunday, where I think it might have been her first her first start or one one of her limited showings so far this season. But she put on an incredible performance. She scored a goal. She got a couple of. Like assists, well, they, I'm not sure they were assists, but but through balls to to create assists, and she ran the show for the for the from the midfield for me, and then you look at um, Chloe Kelly, Lauren Hemp, such free flowing football, and it's exciting to watch for young players coming through, not just for Manchester City but also for England.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, though, it wasn't exciting to watch from Gemma Davis's point of view. The Aston Villa manager basically said her side just didn't show up and they didn't really, did they? And they've been really disappointing for me this season, Siobhan. What did you make of them last
1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: I felt a bit sorry for them, really. I think they worked really hard for the first like 20 minutes, half an hour, I think. it was two minutes they conceded. Then the second goal went in at seventeen minutes, and then it was from from then on it kind of went to pot. I think there were another four goals in the next twelve minutes before half time. They worked hard to try and defend and to try and stay compact for that first half hour, but it, it was a little bit relentless from Manchester City. The quality and the golf in between the two teams was just too big. Credit to them for the second half. They only conceded one goal. They banked up a lot more. Yes, Manchester City took their, took their foot off the pedal, but it, it was a much better second half performance and would have given them a little bit of confidence and self-belief after that, that second half performance.
2: Yeah, they've got Reading up next, uh, Villa midweek as well. So they'll need a, a decent bounce back result. We'll talk about Reading's draw with Arsenal uh, next. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others, alongside Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app and subscribing to our podcast. Just search TalkSport Women's Football Weekly. Uh, so coming up, we'll also hear from the new Bristol City interim boss, Matt Beard. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Rothers, and with me tonight, we've got former England and Manchester United goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski from Goal. Right, four other games to get ourselves through. Reading 1, Arsenal 1. Pretty sluggish and slow Arsenal, actually. Uh, Reading took an early lead in this one and defended it well. To earn a point in the end and uh, two former Arsenal players as well turning in that fifth-minute goal. Emma Mitchell's free kick uh, scored by Lauren Bruton in the end, Amy. Arsenal just weren't enjoyable to watch in this, were they?
4: No, and it's not something that we've said many times of a Joe Montemore Arsenal team or of a Joe Montemore team ever, really. And um, it was a bit of a surprise, and Reading are a great team, obviously well established at that top of the table. But Arsenal have set the tone over the years for being that team that beats the the teams that are, you know, not Manchester City or Chelsea. They they always seem to beat those teams that are below them in the table, and it was just a very rare slip up from them. And um, it'll be interesting to see if they bounce back immediately, or or if it is a little bit of a, a spell that they're going to go through.
2: Mm, Vivienne Miedema obviously got their equaliser uh, from close range Uh, they had chances to win it as well but these are really important and key points in the title race that they've lost now Siobhan they're three points behind uh, Manchester United and Chelsea can they gain this back or do you think you know too many slip ups now?
3: I think with the amount of games that you've got in, in the WSL, it's really difficult once you lose one or two games to to get back and to win the league. But this season, it does seem like there are going to be more, mo- more moments when teams take points off each other. Obviously players are missing through COVID, through isolating, through injuries. There's a lot more opportunities for teams to take points off those top teams and, and potentially it might not be as smooth running as it has been in the past.
2: Oh, that makes it exciting, though. I, lo- I love that. But when you look at the stats from Arsenal, eight points from six games is not the kind of form that Joe Montemuro will be happy with. And he said that they were below par for the whole game, didn't get into any kind of rhythm and didn't position themselves well enough for the passing opportunities and that they need to fix that. How much of that was down to Arsenal? And how mu- but how much of it was actually down to the way Kelly Chambers had set Reading up, Amy?
4: I think um, we we know now that that Reading are such a such a well organised team and it's not to say that they're they're dull um, because they're great going forward at times too and you know they've got a lot of talent in there you look particularly in that midfield with uh, Jess Fishlock and and Farrah Williams so um, they're just very you know quite well drilled and I think for Reading it's it's such a positive result because they got battered by Arsenal in that opening weekend game it was six one I think it was and to see, to see them kind of come into this one and, and learn from that day and put things right and pick up a really positive point. When you look at Reading this season, they probably deserve more points and, and better results than they've got when you watch them play. So it was nice to see Reading get, get a good result this weekend.
2: Yeah, definitely. They've got Villa next, um, Arsenal play West Ham. Um... Everton, though, back to to winning ways. 4-0 winners over Bristol City. Obviously, City have only had time for one training session with their new manager, Matt Beard, who's come in as maternity cover for Tanya Oxterby, who's expecting a baby in in March. Before we talk about the actual game itself, let's hear from Matt about his new role um, and exactly how this maternity cover is going to work.
0: Yeah, obviously, it's different. Um, I know Tanya quite well. We've got a good working say working relationship. We've got a good relationship, um, I guess, as coaches. I knew Lee Billiard from Boston Breakers, which was a, a big part of me coming here because, you know, we had a really good uh, working relationship at Boston and, you know, we was devastated. We'd never got the opportunity to see that project out with all the work that went into it. Uh, so that was a big factor of me me coming here. But It's also a different challenge. You know, obviously in the league, Bristol City have been struggling. I think Wednesday night proved, even with three players that probably would have started the game you know the fight that if they show that fight and that hunger and that desire maybe they can we, we can get ourselves out of the situation we are in the league it's a good platform for me to build on with the, with the players it's, it's a strange world at the moment with the way this new strain of coronavirus has affected our country um, I've had a nice break homeschooling has been so tough I'm not going to lie especially the maths uh, but uh I just, it just felt it was a, a, a different opportunity for me. So it's something different. It is unique. I, is this the first time that there's been maternity cover in, in the women's game? I, I, I can't remember another time. But for me, it was about the people that I was going to be working with. And, and, and you know, that, that whatever, whatever I, I decided to do next or whatever I do long term, you know, f- for me, it's the people that I work with. I have complete freedom. And that was one of the things that when I spoke with Liam and, and Mark, at the club, that was important because there's no point in me coming in and doing, you know, someone else's work. You know, it's it's uh, me and Tanya, as I said, we've got a good relationship. We've had numerous conversations. We've done a done a handover, um, but I have free reigns to to do what what I need to do.
2: So the new Bristol City manager, Matt Beard there on uh, maternity cover for Tanya Oxterby. Um, really interesting the way that they've worked together on this. I think he's right. I, I, I don't remember a case of of any maternity cover for, for a manager previously. Um, I don't know whether either of either of you do, but certainly you need a lot of trust in this kind of matter because Tanya's trusting Matt to try and get them out of the situation that they're in Siobhan.
3: Yeah of course you, you you need trust and you need a good relationship there but <laughs> Matt Beard would not want to go into a into a job where, where he doesn't want to do the best for those players and for that team, even if it's only a short period of time that he's there. His reputation is on the line as well as those players that are in the team. He'll want to go in there and do do a job and keep them up in the league. It's a very difficult job to do. They've they've got what two points. They haven't won a game so far this season in the league, and it's gonna be a really tough job for him. But I'm sure he'll he'll relish it and I'm sure he'll do his utmost to use his experience and use his ability to to keep them in the
2: league absolutely, big job on his hands but if anyone was going to do it, it would be Matt Beard that's for sure, um, Everton though, back to winning ways, first win in the league since the 11th of October You know, we've had Willie Kirk on the show, in fact we've had Matt Beard, Tanya Roxby as well on, on, on this show, plenty of others too on Women's Football Weekly but um, when Willie Kirk came on they were flying high, doing really well and then something just seemed to, to go a little bit wrong, I know how much they missed Valerie Govan uh, for sure but Izzy Christensen on fire uh, in this game, two goals and an assist and, and she's just been fantastic, hasn't she Amy?
4: Yeah, it's been really nice to see as well because before she, she left for Lyon I mean she was one of my favourite players to watch in this league when she was at Manchester City um, and for England she was fantastic and it's really nice to see her getting back to that now after having a, a difficult kind of spell in Lyon uh, with the injuries and such so really good to see her picking up that form and she's playing with a smile on her face and it's good for England as well as well as being good for Everton
2: yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, Everton fans, um, we have a little surprise for you with uh, your goalkeeper, Sandy McKeever, uh, our spotlight interview. That's coming up at the end of the show. So don't leave us. Stay tuned uh, for that. Now, Matt Beard's former team, uh, West Ham, lost 1-0 to Spurs. A frustrating start for the new Hammers manager, Ollie Harder here, Siobhan.
3: Yeah, definitely that would have been a game that they would have been looking to get some points from. I think you have a new manager, you have that sudden burst of energy. You've got players wanting to prove their worth, wanting to wanting to stay in the starting lineup, wanting to come on and make a difference. You've got that little little burst, that little something extra to prove, but unfortunately it it couldn't get them a point, it couldn't get them the win. And yeah, it it's not looking that positive down there.
2: No, nine shots on target. Spurs just needed the one. Lucy Quinn with the only goal of the game. Um, Harder to change the formation. He went three at the back and, and was pretty pleased with with what he saw from his side. Obviously, he's only had two weeks with with them as well. But he said he's seen the squad implementing the pressing style that, that he wants them to play. And that's what's really important, isn't it, Amy? That they buy into what he wants to do.
4: Yeah, and I spoke to win... Oli's old assistant who's now taking his job in, in Norway at the women's club he was at and he was talking about how he wants to play this this attractive attacking style of football they like to play press aggressively um but it sounds like he's quite flexible as well in that when they come up against you know Manchester United or Manchester City they will accept that you know they're not going to have the possession that they want and they can play a little bit more direct and be a little bit more pragmatic if they need to be so um Yeah, I think it'll take time, obviously, to to change a whole style, especially midway through the season. But yeah, it sounds like he's got some good ideas. And if the the players are already buying into it, that's a positive sign for sure.
2: Well, the Tottenham players are certainly buying into whatever Rhianne Skinner is doing uh, with them since she took over in November. They've been really impressive. And you only need to win a game by a goal to nil, Siobhan.
3: You do. And I think one of the biggest things for them is the clean sheet i know probably i'm a little bit biased as a, as a former goalkeeper <laughs> and i think everything starts with a clean sheet and a and a good goalkeeping performance but the more you can keep clean sheets the more you can limit your opposition's opportunities and, and shots on target that the more chance that you're going to you're going to have to to get points from matches and i know they had to defend quite deep at times and and they were put under quite a bit of pressure from west ham predominantly probably down to their change of system and trying to press a little bit higher. But they managed to do it. They managed to keep them out. Keeping a clean sheet was probably really important for them yesterday.
2: Yeah, you say keeping a clean sheet is important, but I guarantee both Birmingham City and Brighton and Hove Albion would like to buy a goal at the moment. Um, Nil-nil it finished between the two of them. Not particularly surprising, given that they've both scored a total of 16 goals between them. Obviously been hit by COVID cases and injuries as well. Brighton had to recall some lone players, played plenty of players out of position, academy players as well. Pretty tough for them at the moment, Amy.
4: Yeah, and I think given that they'll be happy with the point will be Brighton, um, especially because you know Birmingham have, have turned around so fantastically under under Carla Ward. Um, so yeah, I think, and you wouldn't expect anything less, I don't think, from a Hope Powell team. You can you can imagine how how well drilled her players will be, no matter who she kind of brings in. Um, they're always very well organised, and you know goals might be hard to come by, but if you if you keep a clean sheet, then you know you're always going to get at least a point.
2: Yeah, what do either of you know about 17 year old Emily Murphy? Uh, exciting young England talent, joined Birmingham on loan from Chelsea last week, and she went straight into the starting lineup, Siobhan.
3: Yeah, I think it's great that, that Chelsea are giving their young players opportunities to go out on loan. That there, There's a lot of teams out there that haven't got the depth that the big four have at the moment and that they're craving, they're crying out for players to come in and, and do a job. And Chelsea has got so many players, so many world-class international players that it can be difficult at times for young players to get experience, to get game time, whether that be in the Championship, whether that be in the FA WSL, it's great to see them out there. I think Jamie Lee Napier, she, she's gone to Birmingham as well on loan from Chelsea, and it's good that they're getting that opportunity and it's going to be a different different situation, a different scenario to what they'd experience at, at, at Chelsea, so sometimes it's nice to to see it from from the other side when, when you're not necessarily at one of the top clubs where, where they're given everything.
2: Yeah, very much seeing. Uh, excited to see what they can do. Uh, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Carruthers. You've just been hearing the thoughts of Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski from Goal. If you miss any of the show, you can find our podcast, download the TalkSport app and search for Women's Football Weekly. Uh, next, we're going to round up the championship and shine our spotlight on Everton's Sandy McKeever. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Carruthers on TalkSport 2. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faye Rothers, and keeping you company with me is former England and Manchester United goalkeeper Siobhan Chamberlain and Amy Ruski from Goal.com. Now then, the championship. Uh, Big news. Vicky Jepsen left Liverpool by mutual consent on Tuesday. She'd been at the club for... 12 years and uh, during a difficult last few years as well, which included relegation from the WSL. She'd been in charge since 2018. Liverpool then went on this weekend to lose 2-1 to top of the table Leicester. Uh, Leicester ahead of Durham by three points. Um, Liverpool on 11, back in fourth, meaning that their promotion chase looks well and truly over. Um, Siobhan, your former side, Liverpool... Two-time WSL champions, obviously. Where do they go from here?
3: I think it's really disappointing to see where they where they are now compared to to where they were four or five years ago, winning the winning the um, WSL twice. Um, I think it's frustrating as a as a football fan to see a club that's one of the best in the world that's just won the men's Premier League to then have its women's team that's really struggling that gets relegated from the top league and doesn't look like it's having the support that it needs to be successful. Um, I think it, it's, it raises a lot of questions as to how much the, 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 the team and the club is integrated and how much um, the women's team is valued within within that club.
2: Mm, Vicky Jepson, whenever she spoke to us, and obviously she was employed by the club, so of course she would. She always said that she had plenty of support uh, from the club itself uh, whenever she spoke on on Women's Football Weekly. Uh, but but it does it does beg the question exactly as Siobhan said, Amy, of of whether or not they really are truly investing in Liverpool, because you look at Leicester, who now, who are now under the King Power umbrella and train. Um, at, at the same ground as as the men do, and a very much part of you know Leicester City as a club, and look at the success they're getting. I mean, is is this kind of fair
4: criticism? I think it was. It's an interesting comparison to have this fixture, isn't it? Because you know you can see both kind of you know you you have this club that's not as big as Liverpool, but is you know doing much bigger things because of that investment. I think though the the press that Liverpool have got, you know, they've, they've their reputation on the women's side and, and obviously as a club in general as well has been tarnished a lot recently because of the reports that have come out and, and a lot of the, you know, players. Um, I remember that point where lots of them left last year and they were talking about they wanted to enjoy their football again and a lot of people mm. picked up on that. But I think the way that the bad press, the good thing about that is that I think there are starting to be some changes um you know there seems to be like a little bit more investment there and and things like that and that's that's the good side of it that they've been called out on it and it does sound like that they are changing things behind the scenes obviously it's not showing in the results this season unfortunately for them but um yeah it shows that you know by people coming out and saying something about this that hopefully it will turn things around and we'll get back up to that that top division because we do want to see do you know that Merseyside derby that Liverpool versus Man United rivalry and stuff so yeah it's it's a shame to see where they are now yeah it's th- sorry, oh, sorry i, I, I think Siobhan, no, go for it.
3: Uh, sorry i just wanted to to, to jump on that on board that comment a little bit. I think you talk about the changes being made. I'd like to question if they necessarily are because you you mentioned that at the end of last season, quite a few players left and they spoke about wanting to enjoy enjoy their football again. I left Liverpool two, three years ago, um, a couple of years before that. And I think 10 or 11 players left that year and you saw exactly the same comments being made. Players wanting to enjoy football again, wanting to feel valued. So it's kind of how many times does that need to happen within a club before the difference gets gets made, before people start listening. And we talk about the training grounds and I think that's been in the media quite a lot recently. But while I was at the club, I don't want to dig too much at Liverpool, although I'm sure... Um, Manchester United supporters that follow me will quite enjoy it. But I was at the club when, when the plans were going through for the training ground. And I remember thinking, oh, this will be great. We trained at Witness Rugby Stadium at the time on 3G. I thought this will be fantastic to have a new training ground. It will obviously be, be built for everybody, but that there was no consideration given to the women's team and that there's no space for them there, which for me at the time kind of signalled their their importance and their value that they've placed on women's football.
2: Mm, it's certainly something that we'll dig into a little bit more we have done that on on women's football weekly but clearly still problems going on at liverpool very little time left so i just want to rattle through the other results sheffield united three coventry nil crystal palace nil durham one london bees nil nil with london city Uh, the conti cup semi-final draw was made so manchester city or chelsea who play on wednesday will play west ham or durham who play on thursday and leicester city have a tie against bristol city as well just about enough time to to bring you a lovely little spotlight interview that Talk Sports Bradley Hayden has done with Everton and England goalkeeper Sandy McKeever about her unconventional journey to being
5: a number one. I think when I was younger, it was just a case of my mum wanted me to, to be involved in sports. I don't think any of us really know why I picked football, maybe because I saw the boys play that at school. But um, no, I just think it, it was something that took my interest in. And then, and, and then so my mum just took me to a, a local boys team. Uh, which I started playing outfield as I got older uh, girls couldn't play with in the same team as boys anymore so then it was a case of moving my development on to find a girls team and that's when I joined Crew Academy and then that was when a few years later I made the transition from becoming uh, an outfield player to a goalkeeper um, and, then, and then since then moved to Everton had a few years out in, in America at college and then Uh, Back here at Everton, where where my goalkeeping journey I think really really started. And I was reading up, and you first started out as a striker when you were when you were younger. So, how did the move to to going back into goalkeeper come about? It was the last year as a career, I think. For whatever reason, we needed. I think towards the end of the season, we were just having goalkeeper problems, and we just needed someone to fill in. At the time, I thought that was a good idea, jumping in goal, because you play around with your friends and, and it seems a good idea. Um, and it turned out that I really enjoyed it. I think that took both me and my parents by surprise. And then at the end of that season, a number of academies closed down. So I had to go trow- elsewhere. And then there was a the big decision. Well, do I stick being an outfield player or, or do I give the goalkeeping a go? and that's when I joined Everton and well my dad and I were talking about it I think the other day actually and we said we'll just give this first year as a goalkeeper a go and then at the end of that year depending on whether I've liked it or enjoyed it then we'll stick with it if not then I'll just go back to being a striker and in hindsight now do, do you feel you made the right decision I think so yeah um <laughs> We always joke about where would I have gone if I was still a striker and the girls that know me at Everton will know that running up and down a pitch definitely wasn't something I enjoy. So, yeah, I think playing in goal was definitely the right idea.
2: Everton and England goalkeeper Sandy McKeever talking to Talk Sports Bradley Hayden there. Uh, Siobhan Chamberlain, as a goalkeeper, just very quickly, could Sandy McKeever be England's number one in the future?
3: oh i definitely think she could she has fantastic potential um she she's done really well since she's come back from america she's got that experience from playing over there but but she's also grasped her opportunity at everton with both hands and definitely one to watch for the future
2: Listen, Amy Ruski had a fantastic story about biscuits regarding Sandy, but we'll have to save that for her next appearance on Women's Football Weekly. It's been a pleasure having you both with me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'll talk to you both again soon. Next week, former Brighton Liverpool and Everton defender Fern Whelan is with us. It's a big thank you, though, to Siobhan Chamberlain, Amy Ruski, Sandy McKeever and Matt Beard, and to all of you, as ever, for listening. Don't forget, if you miss any of our show or you want to listen back to any of our specials from last year, download the Women's Football Weekly podcast,
0: Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
3: Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it?
0: Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do.
3: Join me, journalist Becca Hudson.
0: And me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How i Fix.
3: From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation.
0: And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of Howard Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.